podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. It's the Anfield Wrap on Radio City Talk. Neil Atkinson, Phil Blundler, John Gibbons, Paul Senior. That is what's known as a rider podcast start. As we <laughs> rattle in at half past six. I'm not taking any prisoners with these three. They're already being rambunctious before this show starts. Good evening, Liverpool. It's your Friday night. We're going to talk to you about Sevilla. We've got me chatting to Rafa Honigstein to come. And we're going to talk about that conversation with Rafa. Other things that are in his Jurgen Klopp book. And all of that in the context of the way in which Jurgen Klopp acts towards his players, acts towards this football team, looking ahead to the massive game this weekend against Chelsea. John, because of the severe thing, because of the way the game went, because of all the nonsense, Chelsea sort of snuck up. It's come a bit under the radar. Let's be honest, this is a huge game of football. Yeah, it's massive. You know, you're looking at last weekend and you're looking at uh, teams dropping points because they're playing each other. And the best way, if you've got, if you've, you want to catch up with teams who are ahead of you and you want to get ahead of the ones who are, let's face it, rivals for, for top four. And there's going to be some good teams miss out this season. It might be Liverpool, it might be Chelsea. So the best way to make sure that you, you can get ahead of them or you can catch up with them is by beating them. It's, it's the easiest way. You can't rely on teams in, in, in the bottom half doing you a favour. And so this is huge. We've got home advantage, decent record against Chelsea at home in recent years as well. So... Yeah, it's, it's, it is a real big one, and I know what you mean. It has, it has come you know, a week or so earlier than maybe people thought it had. It is strange that, you know, because the, the, Seville's the sort of game, uh, rightly or wrongly, Paul, that ends up with an aftermath, that there's an aftermath, there's a post-mortem, there's loads and loads of talk. If, if Liverpool just see that out and it finishes 3-2, or they go make it 4-2, or they win 3-0, as soon as the final whistle goes, everyone's just thinking about Chelsea. Yeah. But because the way that ends up going, all that's been in everyone's mind, up to and including today, up to and including the manager's press conference today from the sound of things, it's, Chelsea's almost like an afterthought. We've got to keep picking the bones out of that one. Yeah, you're probably right in terms of the sort of general consensus around the game. Me, me personally, I've been treating this as the bigger fixture. Um, I, I know, obviously, Champions League. It's nice to be in and stuff, but I've been, I, I, I was resting lads for Chelsea in my own mind after South after Southampton. You know, I, I, I care about the league more at the moment. I, I feel like we were in good, we are in good form in the league um, post Tottenham. And I, I was more concerned about keeping that momentum going than I was what's going to happen to Seville because basically we've got a second a second chance. You know, you beat Spartak Moscow at Anfield as expected, well as you would expect, I should say, and um, and you're in the you've topped the group and you're in the Champions League latter stages. So yeah, I understand the post mortem because of the nature of what happened in the second half. It happens in football. I was never expecting Liverpool to go to Seville and win 3-0. I was expecting Liverpool to go to Seville and win because I think we're a better football side. But what were they, 28 games unbeaten at home? They should have been, that should have been over now. Um, Quite frankly, and the reason that we're still talking about it is because it's not in the circumstances. It's, it's Phil, it's, it's, the, the, the worry, the biggest worry for me about the Seville game in terms of what it does to Liverpool's season isn't that it makes, it makes qualification it does make qualification a little bit less likely in that if we'd have won, we'd be guaranteed qualification on top of the group. So you've got to say that. But it's not, I'm not, I'm not up nights about that. What I'm concerned about is the knock-on effects, is the fact that there's now footballers who feel that the focus is on them, is the the fact that a team that felt as though it was very much back to moving forwards as one, you're back to a, a ton of arguments, is that if someone isn't playing well on 60 and it's tight against Chelsea, that the crowd's antsy rather than the right way we want it to be. That's my concern more than anything else. Am I right or wrong to have those concerns? Yeah, I think you are. I think the thing with the other night, it, was a bit of, it almost felt like it was a free game. So you sort of, there was, I don't think the downside is as great as. But is it for the footballers think. themselves? It, it may well be. It may, well, I don't, it could be. I think it probably is. So, to be perfectly honest, I was talking about my point of view actually there, to be fair. But yes, from their point of view, it probably is because there's a, 
there could be a psychological thing with blowing three 0 lead. I'm not sure it necessarily will be, but there could be. It could be they could doubt themselves. There could be all kinds of things going on for them, and it's it it could cause problems. I'd like to think they are highly tuned professionals who can look at it and go right. It happens. Let's let's move on. Because fundamentally, you do look at the goals that we conceded. It's two two set pieces and penalty. It's not like a team. I mean, they were very good second half, and we were very very bad. But they weren't walking through us, and the keeper wasn't making. If you say if you break the game down and say what are their two best chances, it's when Carriers pushes it onto the post and when it's when the lad puts it just wide. They are their two best chances. So it's not like the performance, I think you said some of this on the on the review. The performance wasn't as good in the first half as people thought it was, and I don't think it was as bad in the second half as people thought it was. What what gets me about it, John, and and this is where, you know, I, I mean, I think it's interesting. I think that full stop anyway, and I think it's it is now the nature of football. I think, and I think it's been the nature of football for years. If you're away from home and there's ten to go, and you're only one goal ahead, something is going to come. Uh, the opposition, the opposition are going to feel as though there's another chance in it for them. You know, the number of times I've been at games in Anfield where we're where we're behind by a goal with ten to go, and I'm thinking we'll get a chance, we will get a chance because that's how footy works. So I, I'm not worried about encouragement there, but what I am worried about encouragement for opponents is, you know, let's say, for instance, we get 2-0 up quick against Chelsea at the weekend. Antonio Conte's half-time team talks pretty straightforward. Was, you just hang on in, boys. You show some intensity. And at some sort of point, these might give something up. My point is, my biggest worry about the sort of the long-term ramifications of what happens, what's happened in that game is it encourages your opponents to always feel as though they've got a chance against Liverpool. Yeah, it definitely will. In, you know, there's, I mean, there's a couple of things, really, aside from the... from what it does to our defenders, and I agree with Phil. I think look, Jordan Henderson. I think is going to be going to be honest, Saturday, because he'll know he was poor, and I think the defense, you know, Moreno will be determined to make up if he plays again and things like that. But as you say, it's it's what it does to other people, and I think the opposition for a while now, and this kind of thing takes a while for people to stop talking about, and and we we've known that you know in, in the past, you know, when, when how long we're. How long will Liverpool, you know, bad at set pieces when Rafford had sorted it for about 18 months, you know, and things yeah. like that. And it does kind of, people keep talking about it and playing on their minds and, and we'll just have to deal with that because, you know, this is this is the situation we've we've got ourselves into. So teams won't really give up against us, you're right. I, always, I also worry about the knock-on effect on our attacking players and I think, I don't, I mean, I don't think they're going to give up scoring because I think they all really like scoring. So I don't think they're going to go out and go, what's the point? But I, th- I think it will start to get them down after a while if you know, they, think, they start thinking about how many games they've scored three goals and they're not one. And I think I think that's the kind of thing that maybe, you know, they, they start to think, well, you know, well, they, they start enjoying the football less. They, 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 they start kind of going for a little more. They start, they start looking around a little bit more and, and that kind of worries me as well. I think the other thing is as well, you, you look, Seville's not even, uh, you know, we had the 3-0 lead there. It's not even a game on its own. Leicester missed a penalty and we, we were in that a similar sort of situation uh, away at Leicester this year and it's almost like, if you get one against Liverpool, they rock yeah. a, a little bit and, you know, Liverpool could go in at, at half-time Saturday, 2-0 up and I, and I'm still not sitting pretty against good mm. sides. Um, you know, you're not, you you don't feel like it's completely done. Whereas if Man United are two 0 up at half time, you pretty much expect that they'll see it out. And this is something that this Liverpool side maybe needs to just rein it in a little bit and go, game's won, see it out. You don't, it doesn't need to be but four, five, six. Not maybe it does need against Huddersfield no, or something no, like that. That's not what I'm saying. What I was about to say was that's where I do feel. I, I take John's point about the attacking players, and I can imagine their frustrations. But second half against Sevilla, when I watched it back. I couldn't believe. I think there was there was bad performances all over the pitch. 
I think Coutinho doesn't have a good night. Well, for however long he's on the pitch, he doesn't have a good game. Full stop. No. But I didn't. I wasn't looking at it thinking, you know, Mane, Firmino, and Salah are really digging people out here. The, no, the, no. the ball wasn't sticking. They couldn't get out of our own half. They were dropping deeper and deeper, and they were they, they weren't helping. Is me, me sort of general point. No, no. And that's and they where missed chances of three two. And they missed chances of three two. And that's my, you know, for all that. I, so I think John's. I actually do agree with John's point, and I do worry about that because we've seen it in, in Jurgen Klopp Liverpool sides in the past that you feel like, you know, the, the, the elements of doubt creep in, and how many do I need to score to put this to bed? But there is a thing here where I agree with you, Paul. Where but part of that. Is the whole team's got to have the mentality of we just see this out now we run into the corners we take a bit of time out the game we hold it up yeah absolutely but I think I think you're right in what you're saying about the, the front lines and things I think the manager could react quicker as well I've, like on Wednesday night I felt like it was obvious what was about to happen and nothing changed and nothing changed so he, make, he makes the changes at 3-2 or if, I think if he'd have changed it it was obviously 3-0 that they were going to score mm. And then, then they score two quick goals. Two, even two. without sorry, Phil. Even sorry. without making subs, he can he can do little things yeah, with his formation. Yeah, just game it was, management. It was yeah. easy, quite easy to say go to a four-two-three-one and say, well, there's two of you on 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 Berega now because he's getting yeah. absolutely tons of the ball, and and so there's two of you not not on him, but in that area and and things like that, little things that you'd like to see them switch. Make game. Just went two banks of four and maybe dropped I don't know Salah into the middle or something. That just tighten, just tighten it up, or just. Just drop 10 yards for a minute, lads, and just take 10 and solidify. Don't concede and work your way back in the game. Because you're right, Benega was running the show. Mm. So just, just you know, put a couple of men in and around them rather than yeah. making this pitch big, trying to make opportunities for Marnie and Salad. Well, just let's, let's we're 3-0 up here. Let's, let's just take take a minute and, and make sure we're still 3-0 up. Yeah. And this is really simplistic, but I'd look, and I think they only had three shots on target second half. I don't think Carriers has made a save. There's the one onto the bar. That was offside. Was it? Yeah, yeah I wouldn't have been given if it had gone in. Really? Yeah. yeah. It was a brilliant save. Cheers, shame, Phil. shame. But it was offside, yeah. Um, so it's not like, as I said, it's not like we were being carved open at will and we were on the, we were, we, it felt like we were under the cosh, but well, they, for, they didn't seem I to felt be more creating anything. in the first half. Yeah, that's I, I, I think we were. We had that mad five minutes where, I mean, on, on Carriers, I actually thought that bizarrely the best bit of goalkeeping he did all night was that one on one that he didn't touch. Because yeah. if, if you actually look at his body positioning, there's nowhere that the lad can. There's absolutely nowhere that the lad can put the ball and score. Yeah, it's it's actually. You it, it won't get the credit of a save for that, but it is effectively a save because he's, he's actually done brilliantly to look at the lads and go. There's absolutely nowhere you're putting this ball that will mean it will go in the goal now. One one, one of the big things, and again, this is back to sort of confidence, and this is why I think you know the managers talked during his press conference. We're going to talk more and more about that through this show because I think it's fascinating, and in, in both with the Honigstein book and, and just with this game, Phil. But one of the things, one of the frustrations for me in the game is obviously I'd love, love to win every game three 0 but it would have been exceptionally satisfying to get out of that with the three two. And the reason why is because actually from from the point at which <coughs> there is the incident where they hit the bar, which would have been given offside, which comes two minutes after the penalty. From that point until about 90 minutes, Liverpool actually managed the game really well for all the talk of getting... And what happens when it then doesn't go in is they get slaughtered for the game management. But in that period, Liverpool mm. soak the rest of the, the severe intensity up and then they look like the more likely team to score. But also, they, they actually, they're not, they're not throwing men at the problem. The manager makes his subs we settle ourselves back down we get a bit of a shape I actually think we play pretty well in that period in the context of the way the whole football match has gone but it ends up being absolutely for nothing in the grand scheme of things yeah I thought from 65 we actually almost did manage it pretty well as you say and Emery Chan's gone through and I don't really know I haven't actually seen that chance back but I don't really know what he was thinking when he squared it it just looked like he needed to put his laces through it and it 
What's it got in the box? I mean, it might be in half. He's wide open. I was. I, was I mean, open. I've only seen it from. 100 he just rolls it in. If it goes I was. Too. I was a hundred yards away. Yeah. <laughs> I haven't seen it back, but it, it, at the time, I was just thinking, why? Emery should. Emery should do a bit better, but it's a brilliant play from Benegas. Right, he he lashes enough. himself back. That's I mean, it's, Emery, I think Emery's own body. I, I, again, I haven't seen it back. Emery. Emery is chastising himself afterwards. Fair enough. But I think he's sort of done the right thing. He could just have done it a bit. Better. Either way, he should have done. Ultimately, I think my point is he should have done better. It should. Have, I would have liked to have actually gone. Oh, that was a shot or something like that, as opposed to. <laughs> Just on a personal level, just on a per- I, I quite like getting excited at football. Uh, it's uh, you know we're gonna uh, as I say the, these these matches they always become they always become one thing and you have got to rattle through them. Just other things to to point out there, uh, Paul is that we are beginning to look a, and and it might just be severe shortcomings and you never know. But we are beginning to look a little bit dangerous from set pieces. I don't know if this is just just the the timing, just the opposition, just the the, the way in which things come together. But that is you know for instance we score from a corner against West Ham. Uh, we've we, we've we've had a couple of dangerous moments. Huddersfield as well. We score for we score for one against Huddersfield. We get two there. We are looking like at least of interest from set pieces at the minute. Yeah, it's been it seems a long time coming this as well. Um, I mean, I mean, there's there's definitely been a, a change in the sort of style of Liverpool in recent weeks, and I, I don't know, it, it could just be coincidence, you know. But uh, I, th- I thought West Ham were appalling at the back all game, so it was one of them. It's Matip, isn't it, who scores yep. against West Ham? That just sort of falls to him. But no, it, it's been. It's always been somewhere I've thought we were reasonably weak. I think even since maybe Centupia was was at the club. But there was I, I that 13-14 anomaly where we scored yeah. about oh, 20. Yeah, Martin, we scored like Martin 20 Scale goals scored from set pieces or something. Yeah, yeah, that's true. But no, it does it does seem like a long time coming. But I think if you uh, if you speak to a fan of anyone around at clubs yeah, around the country, think, they go, oh, we're terrible yeah, at set pieces because it's not 1970 anymore. Everyone thinks they're rubbish at corners and free kicks. I think they look, they look worked on at the moment because you if you... If, do, you do you think we'd exploit... We'd looked at them and exploited the weakness the other night because it was in both goals were basically the same. Both goals are basically the same, yeah. So I think we did, and they, also was a near post you look at, and there's in, no one at the back. Yeah, post. and if you look in particular, Marnie, Marnie's really yeah. alive to it. Like I think for me, you know, um, it's it's you know you might think oh, oh he's been we've been a bit lucky there it's fell to him, but you look at the the Marnie one and, and a it's happened twice. You start to think well how much luck is in this, but also he's just he's, he's moving before. Before the flick, I think Clavin gets the flick on on the, on the second one, doesn't he? You take a and lot of front post corners for the yeah, flick on. That's just because we can't beat the first man. To yeah. be fair. <laughs> well, not a oh. I think it's a size thing. I think it's a size thing. <laughs> yeah, we are a big. T- we are we are a big team. In all seriousness, yeah. we are a very small team. Mm. Uh, okay, uh, thank you much to Phil, to John, and to Paul. We'll be back in a second. This is the Anfield Wrap on Radio City Talk. Don't go anywhere. Welcome back to the Anfield Wrap on Radio City Talk. Liverpool, whatever you're doing with your Friday night, I hope you're having a fantastic time. It's been. Um, it's the start. Uh, the start of the, the the run of games has has, has begun. Uh, Liverpool are now two in uh, to this one. It's Chelsea at the weekend. We're going to come on to talk more about that in part three after the break. And we're also going to be talking to Rafa Honigstein uh, on all of that sort of stuff as well to do with Jurgen Klopp. But... At the Anfield Wrap, uh, we have got tons and tons of fantastic coverage of Liverpool. Uh, we do five shows around every game. I sat down and counted them. That is five on every single Liverpool match. We do a couple of different preview shows for the weekend's match. We also do our Anfield Wrap free show at theanfieldwrap.com. And we also do a review show as well as an immediate post-match show. All of that is available if you want to subscribe at the Anfield Wrap. It's theanfieldwrap.com forward slash subscribe for that. Uh, and it's everything that you need as the games get come thicker and faster. There was something else on the game, Phil, and I think it's something that also has gone under-discussed. Uh, we were playing the Tuesday night. We'd had the uh, had the Saturday game against Southampton. Uh, the manager picks the team that he picks and makes the subs that he makes. Uh, but I thought that you could see with Wijnaldum, especially watching the game back, but a couple of others, I thought Liverpool were flagging. Uh, a couple of players were flagging from about 80 onwards. Yeah, I mean, there was a, per- there was a period, probably on the roughly the 90th minute, when Wijnaldum tried to sprint 
and he looked like he was going to go backwards. He just had not. He had absolutely nothing. And the little concern for me there is that Emery Chan's a doubt now. Mm. So how do you pick a team? You can't. It's. It feels like at the minute we can't really pick a team without two of them. I don't know. You know. Maybe, maybe. Well, there's some games, maybe. maybe but I maybe don't not see. I don't. I think if we were playing sort of Huddersfield at home, I think we could do it. L- L- I think you could play. Well, you could play. I think you could play Oxley Chamberlain there at home to Huddersfield, but I wouldn't feel as comfortable with Oxley Chamberlain there. Is the at extra home game to... rest for this one though, was not there? So it was. Uh, you know, Saturday, the extra Tuesday, day, yeah. That, there is that. There is Sorry, that. The extra day rest, it yeah. was a. It was a hard game. So it's. It's, it strikes me as you know it, we, we've talked about it. I, I understand why Johnny wants to get it done. If you get if we'd have won the other night and you know as I say three 0 up at half time, if we'd won the other night, then you are in a position where the game against Spartak Moscow. And you play the under 13s don't you? Yeah, becomes becomes. I think I play Paul up front. Becomes yeah. a dead rubber. Uh, well, you know what I mean. Touch Might class. do anyway. <laughs> Touch a class. Uh, but it becomes a dead rubber and all that sort of stuff. But it was interesting that he did go with with his closer line up to the previous one, John. It does. It suggests that he he wants to. He, he talks a lot about rhythm, doesn't he? And I think we've looked like we've been short of rhythm a little bit this season. So that might have also been in his thinking. It's easy for us to have him grown up on a diet of Jose and Benitez to think rotation, rotation. But this is a manager who does think rhythm, rhythm. Yeah, he does. It was notable that Chelsea didn't make that many changes, and they were in an even better position than than, than we are. And he and worse opposition. Yeah, worse, much worse opposition. And he goes, he goes strong there. Um, he doesn't play Morata, but but mostly, you know, the the rest of his start is starting lads. With and so, I think. Maybe if this game would have been a bit later in this period as well, he he might be. But it's just it's the second game back after the after the two week break, and I think he is thinking rhythm. I think he's also thinking it's a really hard game, and so do we want my best team? Well, beating at home in 20, 25, 28 games, whatever. Exactly. It is. When we, I saw a stat that uh, when we went three 0 up, where we were, I think the, the first side to ever go three goals up against Seville in Europe. You know, they've never lost by more than two, and so. Um, and so, so you know, they're, they're a good team, and he might be thinking, "Well, I don't want to go there and get walloped." You know, yeah. because I mean, you look at Everton uh, last night. You know, it's a nothing game, but there's still massive ramifications for them losing that one five one. I'm not saying we'd have gone to Seville five, got B five one, but if you go there and rest a few and get B three nil, then everyone's not going. Oh, but he's rested a few. It's fine, especially with, on, with the going positivity on. around the club as well at yeah. the moment. You know, you're on what is fourteen one up in the last four games or something, and yeah. And you don't you don't want to go there and lose all that positivity and momentum, as you said. There's an argument actually that the congestion isn't quite as bad as people think it is because usually you're in a position where if we're playing twice a week, we'll play. I don't know. Let's say we play Chelsea on a Saturday, we play a Champions League game on the Tuesday, and then we play Stoke away on the, the Saturday. You go to Stoke away, and Stoke have had a week off, and you haven't. Whereas at the minute, it is everyone having these games. We're going to. Brighton next Saturday. Brighton have got Crystal Palace on Tuesday, which is their. That is the. If you say to Brighton, what is your biggest game yeah. this season? It's Crystal Palace. Like 100%. Because it's probably Crystal one Palace. of the only their biggest rivals. It's, it's their biggest rival as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, is their, that, is their that is their derby. That is their derby. Yeah, it's mad. Have I missed this? Oh, you're too it's, young, you mate. You need to go back it's to the 70s. It's a mad rivalry. It's they hate honestly. each other, Paul. Palace, Palace used to play at Brighton, which is mad. Or was it the other way around? I think it might be the other way around. Yeah. Honestly, that you can do that next week anyway. Yeah, it's, it's huge. It's a huge, <laughs> but, huge. But then there's also we've got West Brom on a Wednesday night, four days after they've got Swansea. Again, that's a big game. Whereas quite often, and when we've got Everton, Everton have played in Europe. But so that, I mean, that's irrelevant, really, isn't it? But I don't know. They might have to pick a decent team now. If you don't get a lot of the good. Yeah, but the, the the thing is, you've got sort of we quite often used to playing Saturday, Tuesday, Saturday, and the team we play on the second Saturday haven't actually played in the week. And at the minute, what's happening? 
is we are actually playing teams who've played in the week as well. Mm. So this fixture congestion possibly isn't bad. Like we play Burnley on New Year's Day. If you tell me to pick when you can play Burnley, it'd be two days after you played someone else. Yeah. So there's well, an, arg- the there's an so argument that it's actually to... there's an argument that actually it isn't it doesn't need managing quite as much. Or that as it's, you a level, think it's a level playing because field. Because the level the, the playing field is being leveled. You'd rather be Liverpool because you've got a bigger squad. Well, yeah, absolutely. That as well. Yeah, yeah. yeah but so... the two things are linked. If we're if us and Burnley have got the same amount of rest, he'd rather be us. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you would mm. not anyway, but you know what I mean. It, yeah, it yeah they're of, bringing in John Walters and we're bringing reduces, Alex Oxlade yeah, Chamberlain. Yeah, yeah. It reduces any advantage that they've got. Absolutely scored. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we should just let them kick off one nil and yeah. not play him. Yeah, I'd rather <laughs> that. stop him scoring <laughs> two. Better, better we'll take the tactic of that he don't he won't score two. We can just play it's John Walters one nil. He can't and they've subbed him on zero minutes. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's a negotiating tactic, John, uh, John. It'd be a way to start the new year. Well, let's hope he clashes with the Conservative Party conference and then he can't. There is the other stuff to talk about from the game, John, is, is what is the nonsense that was going on outside there. I mean, you know, we've covered it elsewhere. There's a video that the Anfield app have done, and we put a free podcast out today as well of the audio from that video. That's all there for people. But it was just um, one of those things that's just, uh, you know, uh, how how police forces and stewards sort of manage to put them, get themselves into these messes these days is sort of a little bit beyond me. But it's you know, it's something that people are used to travel away often, and, and it's. It's just this, um, just this, this idea that as soon as you want, you've got a ticket to a football ground. That the presumption is that you are in some way criminal. Yeah, it's 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 really bizarre. It was bizarre how it was being reported out there as soon as Liverpool arrived. You know, this invasion of the hooligans, and you're thinking, you know, where 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 where's this come from? You know, it's it's, it's just kind of madness, really, just because it's an English club. It's it's kind of building that way, and it's sort of building up to the excuses that we can kind of do whatever you want, and there's no there's no effort to you know police it in a, in a, in a way that's just not going to be aggravating or an, antagonistic. And it, it's frustrating. It, it shouldn't happen. It does. It will continue to happen unless the, there's people willing to stand up for football fans. I'm not quite sure who that is at the moment. Um, I think Liverpool Football Club could have done more and should be doing more and should be looking to do more and I hope they do. You know, it's too soon to say they haven't done anything about this. They've put a statement out saying they're looking after it. So 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 we shall see. But I hope that I think the football clubs just need to generally work together a bit better on it because, you know, straight after the game when we were talking about what we would experience, we had Leicester City fans coming on and saying it was the same when we went there. You know, Spurs talking about their experiences in Spain recently. And and you just think that the football clubs, if the, the, there needs to be a willingness amongst them to to collectively go to UEFA or whoever and say, look, this is happening to us every time we go to Spain and it's not on. So so can we get involved? Can we get our steward involved, take our police in over? You know, huge amounts of money in these fixtures. There's, there's things to do it just so we can work together and just, just try and help in terms of, you know, getting across the message that, you know, the vast majority, as in 99.9% of, of, of those Liverpool fans who would have went over, you know, didn't want any trouble in the slightest. It was just unintentional confrontation as well. Like, I tried to go to the toilet for, at full time and was told, no, you can't, you've got to stay in your seat. The toilet wasn't on the way out of the ground. It was in a completely different part of the ground. Yeah. So what what exactly are they hoping to gain there by saying, stay in your seat, you can't use the toilet? It's just, And the, the there's other people who would have complained to the point where they end up having an argument with the police. And how is this? And this ends up in then people fighting with police, and an actual problem comes from something that you can just go, yeah, it's just there. Go, go back and you see. It's not. There's no common sense or you know normal, yeah, treatment of people. 
Yeah, indeed, indeed. So all that stuff's available for you, the AnfieldRap.com. Gareth's written down everything that's gone on there as well, and there'll be other stuff as well, hopefully, over the next few days. Uh, this is the Anfield Wrap uh, after 7 o'clock. We're going to be hearing from Rafa Honigstein on his book about Jurgen Klopp. Uh, also more from Phil, John and Paul with one eye on the weekend. Well, both eyes on the weekend's game against Chelsea. These lots of single-minded. See you in a minute. So last week, I spoke to Rafa Honigstein before he went off to talk to Simon Hughes at Waterstones. Uh, he managed to come and spend 45 minutes with the Anfield rap. It was fantastic. Uh, and these are some of the highlights from it. Uh, Andy Heaton is involved as well. Me and Andy had a lovely chat. Uh, Rafa's book is called Klopp, Bring the Noise. Uh, and this is what he had to say. It's one of those special Anfield rap conversations with a man who's written a book. It's a fantastic book. It's called Klopp, Bring the Noise. It's Raphael Honigstein. Do you do a gesture there on the Bring the Noise thing? Is that what you do? Have you got a? Have you got a, one of them or something? No, when you said fantastic, I just ah, kind of had a so, shrug of the shoulder. You celebrate. It is it's fantastic. Like, what, is he, what is he talking about? It is fantastic. I mean, Thank I, before I'm, I'm, the normal way we do this stuff is someone says, well, why did you choose to write the book? But we're going to put that to one side for a second. The structure of the book's really good and it's really clever. And basically, why did you decide that that was the way in which you were going to go about it, where you're effectively telling a story along four different tracks and then repeatedly come back to the beginning? What what were you trying to get at in that? There, there, there are a number of reasons why I did it that way. The first one was that I'm myself easily bored with very chronological books where it says he was five years old and he went to school and then he was six and then he went to second grade and then he was seven and he went to third grade. Yes. Um so I thought, how can I do this a little bit differently, a little bit more interestingly for, for the reader? Then there was a second consideration. Because I wrote it um, in English for an English audience, predominantly Liverpool audience, but also at the same time uh, I knew it would be coming out in Germany, I needed it to work in different markets uh, for different readers with people with different kind of levels of Jürgen Klopp knowledge. So I thought if you're a Liverpool fan and you get this book and you have to wait until he's 47 years old before he comes to Liverpool, that is a lot of pages that you have to go through to yep. get to what you where you want to go. So very pragmatic reasons I thought, you know, Liverpool has to happen earlier. And then thirdly, as soon as I had this idea of having these different um, layers and levels of the story it became quite clear to me that these different parts of his life, um, they kind of talk to each other. So things that happens at Mainz, of course, it doesn't repeat itself at Dortmund or Liverpool, but the challenges that you're facing as a coach, the kind of situations, the crises, the, the lack of trust from the fans all of a sudden, the problems in the dressing room, these things kind of happen, they happen and they echo each other. And I felt if you actually kind of juxtapose these rather than having these big chunks on top of each other, you get more kind of the 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 way things, I think as a manager, um, really put you in a position where you feel, you know what, I've seen this before and I think I can handle it uh, and make it more accessible that way. The other thing that I liked in there, and, and this is massively a book of mindsets, and that's, you know, I think that's, firstly difficult to put over and I think you've definitely succeeded in it because the, you, you start everything from the mindset point and you know for instance you, you draw clear parallels and it's it's not labouring the points to sort of the, the, the notion of, of, of fatherhood within there you know between both both Jürgen's actual father but also uh, the importance of Wolfgang Frank and all of this that's you know you're very they're, they're, they're quite clear but also they're, they're the creation
foundation of a mindset. And that's that that's almost the starting point for so much of what's in the book is how this mindset sort of creates and builds and setting that sort of scene is it, it's very, very important when you're trying to get into the mind of the man who who mm. brings the noise for want of something else. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think you have to explain it um, in terms of his background, where he's comes from what kind of mindset is there in, in a place like the black forest in Swabia where people are a bit strange um and why, I, I, I want to talk about this why are these why, why are they strange in Swabia explain to everyone this Bavarian, of course um I mean I have a reputation for being sort of the hardest uh working Germans and the, the people who um take sort of the idea of duty and uh and work ethic to its to its ext- extreme um even to the point and this is something that i think somebody says in the book about klopp um where you know your neighbor will check whether you've put out your bins at 10 o'clock because at 10 or 5 the bin men will come um and uh it is a very specific kind of kind of mindset and i think you you combine that with that football and, and sporting madness that his father very clearly imposed on him, uh, Norbert, and, and pushed him and drilled him and tortured him effectively to become a tennis player, a skier and a footballer. And then at the same time, you juxtapose that with his mum, who seems to have been or still is much more balanced and forgiving and relaxed. And then you really suddenly, I think, can explain those two really strong currents in him. This, on the one hand, this incredible um, passion and, and obsession with winning and pushing himself and pushing others to get that sort of last drop of sporting excellence out of you the way his father used to do with him. But at the same time, an ability kind of to see the bigger picture and to understand that, you know, if you do lose, there's another game in three days' time. And we can we can go again. It's, I think it's easier said than done, but I think it's actually there's something deep inside him, and also will, will be explained um, if you read about his um, experience at Mainz as a coach. How losing is a really important po- part of the process, and it's perhaps yeah. losing that makes you a good manager more more than than more than winning. In amongst all of that, we, we you know, you, you've been in England now for, for, you know, for years and you've been working on, on for English publications for years, but do you think that in general we sort of misunderstand lots of different aspects of Germany? We misunderstand, firstly, how, how regional it is. You mentioned there that you're a Bavarian, he's a, he's a Swabian, you know, there's, there, there, there's, there's, there's these quite stark differences that we, that you're probably aware of in England for the time you've spent here, but sort of as a collective, we, Britain misses, they just see sort of Germany as this, as this amalgamous mass, whereas the more conscious of differences in Italy or differences in Spain whereas these differences are as stark in Germany as they are anywhere else yeah I think that's definitely true Um, when we think or I say we but I think when people think of Germany they probably think of Bavaria in terms of the looks of it you know the lederhosen and the beer and the, the mountains and blonde girls with big bosoms Um, but Germany on a whole is not like that and I think what really is overlooked at times is that it's a very, very young country. Yeah. Only came into existence in 1870. And you can still see those regional differences and you can still see that, yes, of course, there is something uh, that unites uh, unites us and we have a common language, but the, the differences are are quite vast. And um, it has an impact on, on almost anything. And there is a reason, I think, 
why some of the most important people in German football uh, of the last 20 years or so ha happened to come from Swabia or the Southwest, uh, uh, you know, in terms of uh, Jürgen Klopp, Jürgen Klinsmann, um, Thomas Tuchel, Joachim Löw, Ralf Rangnick, Wolfgang Frank. I mean, there is there is something about this area that kind of breeds these people who are very open to to innovation and open to trying new things, but at the same time having that kind of slightly mad professor determination <laughs> that you need to actually follow through. Because we all have great ideas, but most of us don't really ever put them in place. And these guys for whatever reason have done it and I think it, their background explains a lot I mentioned Frank before uh, in terms of the you know the, the, the Klopp's almost sporting father if you know what I mean or his second father that I mean firstly mid-90s football I don't think we, we spend enough time sort of acknowledging how strange it was again across the globe that there was b between you know the innovations that were made across Europe in different patches at different times in the sort of 15 years that preceded it what that meant was everyone was in, in, in vastly different places mentally there, there, there was some cross-pollination but there wasn't mm. quite the idea you know there was lo basically there's loads going on and nothing yeah. things haven't quite settled this down this is pre-globalised football yep. it's only 20 years ago but it is pre-modern and pre-globalised football. So it is, the it is a strange historical moment, really, for football, isn't it? Where, there's, where, for instance, you know, Wolfgang Frank will have seen what some sides have done, the Kiev side, the Liverpool side, the, the AC Milan side, a massive influence on a lot of these managers and coaches yeah. around the period. And they all begin to take a lot of these principles, but use them all in different ways. And Frank, when he arrives at Mainz, it's, I mean, it is, it's probably the defining moment of Klopp's career full stop. If, is, that's probably fair, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Um, and he does something that from uh, an English perspective doesn't sound very exciting. He just does away with a sweep and um, plays a back four. But in Germany, that is a monumental sort of moment where people think, hold on, football without a sweeper? You yeah. must be joking. I mean, how are we going to... It's almost like playing without a goalkeeper, isn't it? How huge it was. <laughs> how are we going to stop somebody just running through? <laughs> um, you know, you lose your tackle, you lose your Zweikampf, as they say in Germany, and then who's who's behind you? Um, and of course, the whole, it's not just a back four, it's the whole idea that goes with it, that if you, once you stop man marking, then you can actually use that time that you don't spend running after players to um, mark the space or press the space and squeeze and, and create these moments where better sides suddenly cannot play their football anymore. So that was a real... A big moment for Klopp to realize we are clearly the the worst team here but we can actually win we can win by taking away the football from the other side and making them so nervous and pushing them so hard that they'll make mistakes and somehow even though we can't none of us can really play football we can win games and that was a huge moment for him a huge moment for German football because for them tactics was something that you know was really defined in I think in terms of being defensive or um, trying to destroy football altogether, but not as a means of actually winning games when individually you were at a huge disadvantage. So when Frank had that success, initial success at Mainz, not only did it open the eyes of Klopp, but also of others, of course. And then you had that strange situation a few years later at the turn of the century when some Bundesliga two teams 
were playing really innovative yeah. modern football and in the Bundesliga and even the national team they were pl- still man marking and playing with a sweeper and uh, it's only once I think the the the, the Wolfgang the Frank yeah. revolution and uh, the kind of innovation that Klopp then takes into the league and also Ralf Rangnick with him at uh, Hoffenheim at the same time only once these guys have success at the highest level and that you need to fast forward to another a few years, 2008 to 2010. That's when people suddenly realize, ah, you know, it is actually, it's quite a good idea to play this pressing, pressing game. Actually quite helps you to have a, a system in place when you don't have the ball. So all of this might have happened without Frank and Mainz and Klopp, but the way it happened and uh, the way it took hold so quickly after a long build-up, is definitely down to to him and uh, his own biography. Always good to speak to Rafa Honigstein uh, in every single sense. He's a fantastic man. He's a really good company. The book's very good as well. I had to read it all before I interviewed him. Um, you know, it's one of them, really. It's very rude if you get people in from an interview about the book and you haven't finished it. Uh, I'm not going to say I'm not but below. the worst occupational hazard that man I'm, I'm, not, I'm not below that. Uh, don't say I'm not above that, Paul. Don't think that that hasn't happened on occasion. But on the whole, normally I do read the books and I did read that one and I would really recommend it uh, to anyone who wants to know more about Jurgen Klopp and Liverpool. And his journey, and it's it's part of the, what's fascinating within the book and in different parties. Firstly, I've never read a book where there's as many as many discussions of poor games or people playing poorly. Normally, books tend to be about the successful moments and talking through the highs, whereas there's a real openness and honesty about when you play less well, which I think you've seen today from the manager in his press conference, and also about how you sort of deal with that and come out the other side. And I think, you know, Paul, I think that there's the manager is adamant we saw post the Spurs game after the Spurs game we said he could do whatever he wanted he could bomb whoever he wanted he could strip Henderson the captain so you name it he can do it and he very much didn't he didn't do any of the things that we expected up to the point that Mignolet actually captains Liverpool a few weeks later on there is the manager is is very very committed to his players and I think that we maybe as a supporter base I'm not saying we don't necessarily have to learn from it we don't even necessarily have to agree with it we probably just do have to get used to it he's not going to throw his players under the bus in public he's not going to make a show of anyone he's not going to even throw his players under the bus I don't think through selection or anything like that I think if if they're turning up to train and they're giving everything that they can he is going to support them yeah he's probably the the uh, most measured least reactionary manager I can can never remember the club having really he's I think it probably comes round to the sort of wider psychology of the message he puts across about development and you know belief that he's going to take the player from from where they are now onwards. So if he's 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 got to practice what he preaches in that sense. You know, it's it's almost the opposite of the everybody hates you, Jose Mourinho approach, and then. It sort of gets found out when you're successful, when everyone's telling you how much they respect and love you. Klopp's more about, I think if Klopp throws the baby out with the bathwater, you know, all this, Alberto Moreno as a current example, you know, you can't tell Alberto Moreno he's great every day and he just needs to do X, Y and Z. And the minute he gets it wrong once, you can't just bomb him. So I'm not expecting, you know, after what happened in Munich, midweek, I'm not expecting tons of changes. I'm not expecting them to sort of... I think you'll just swap to keep it, Paul. I think that's all. Yeah, that's that's on. Yeah, that's all. I think. Depending on when Alden, maybe. I think he bring Matip back. I think. Yeah, yeah. You think he goes? But do you think he goes Matip and Lovren, or does he go Matip and Clavin? I think. Yeah, I think he goes Matip and Lovren. Yeah, so that that might be the opportunity. But but what I'm saying is, he's not just going to go. Oh, that was a terrible result midweek. Six changes because that's that's not him. And as I said, you can't you can't 
be this guy who believes in developments and then throw it, it all can, in the bin. You can't just ignore the fact that you've gone to Seville and, and gone 3-0, which isolate that, and that is actually very impressive as a thing to do. Hmm. So there has to be some form of positive taken from the overnight. At the end of the day, we went away from home in Europe against a team we've won two of the last three Europa Leagues and we're 3-0 up at half-time. It's not... It's, end of day stuff is it but what what's, what seems difficult John and what seems difficult for people in general is that there is you know for, um, for, I'll give another really good example is that you know there's one performance or that sorry after that performance not one performance but after that performance for instance there's loads and loads of people for, who've decided that Henderson shouldn't be captain anymore and they might as well be, be be screaming at the moon, as far as I'm concerned. In that, in that, he's 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 that this manager would strip somebody of the captaincy halfway through the season. If he wants to do that, he could have done it after Spurs. And he, you know, he's he's had ample opportunity to no longer have Jordan Henderson as his captain. And I think that there is this sort of this. If there's, we say I love your line about Liverpool supporters and and whoever it is who owns the club that you say you know the old the old Marilyn Monroe line that you know if you want if you, if if if, if if you want to start best, you've got to put up with us as the worst. And if you, whether you agree or disagree with Jurgen Klopp, if you want Jurgen Klopp as your manager, then you're going to have to put up with Jurgen Klopp as your manager. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, maybe there's people who don't. I mean, that's kind of up to them. But he's, he's, he's as you say, he's, he's not going to... I mean, I, don't, I, can't, I can't ever think of, of anyone who's, who's, who's stripped someone of the captaincy kind of midway through the season. It just... Who lay with Gerard? Sorry, who lay with Hippie when he gave it to Gerard? Was that during the season? Yeah. yeah. Was it? The yeah. first game was Olympia Ljubljana. Yeah, he did it during the season. That's he, a bit mad, But it? I don't think that was a stripping of the captaincy. It was more giving it, it to Gerard. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's, look, there's no obvious choices. And I think as, as fans, we all kind of need to accept that, you know, that you, you can, we can try and find solutions because it's good fun and it's what we do on the on-field wrap. But it, you can't just be like, we'll drop them all. Because, you know, there, there, has, to be, there has to be something that, that, you, that you're proposing rather than the kind of like... The first the, 11 for a reason. Yeah, the, 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 you know, just the kind of the negativity really. And, and look, and, and, and it can't be a case of, you know, jump on your hobby horse every time you get the opportunity because every footballer in the world will give you an opportunity to to, to criticise them. You know, there isn't a, a footballer in the history of time who hasn't made a mistake or had a bad game or things like that. You know, um, I said said on a, re- a recent live show, my, my dad, you, you know, was... You know, will will often tell me that the, the, the Kenny came and Kenny address. You know, every now and again, it stinks the place out. You know what I mean? And and things things like that kind of do happen. And so, it's 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 looking at the bigger picture. It's looking at kind of you know where we are, and yet it's not quite good enough. And, and how are we going to improve? But it's not just 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 you know using using kind of any opportunities to slaughter the person you like to slaughter. It's to me, uh, Paul. The, 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 and again, I, I discussed this with Rafa Honigstein, but I think I can develop the point a bit further. And amongst us here now is is that we do seem to have a... He said that he's of the view that the, the, the English react to bad games worse. Like, when, when when a footballer plays poorly, we, the sort of the English sort of speaking world, reacts to, to like, act like bad games should never happen. That that's the sort of... And, and, and I, I that's why I mentioned before about in the book, Klopp's very... There's lots of discussion of bad games. That the, the, And I wonder whether or not inside professional footballers, there's a bit of an expectation, really, that, yeah, you're going to play badly sometimes, that they're grown up enough to almost be able to look at each other and go, yeah, this is a thing that happens some weeks. Mm-hmm. You're going to play badly? I think I think Liverpool and, and Arsenal are probably quite poor as a fan base in terms of overreacting. Um, I think it, it, it's born of frustration of... Not having won the league long enough. For long well, enough. not for not for winning the league long enough. I'd rather be in Arsenal's shoes than ours. Um, but because you, you've 
I think it's it come, you're frustrated because you, you see obvious fixes and you, what you think are obvious fixes, and if they keep happening time and time again, people just get louder and louder, and agendas get stronger because there's more reference points. So I, I think I think we do overreact, and it's probably a frustration thing. And yeah, I think it's a caveat who's who's saying that, um, and he may be right, you know. And I, I think as I'm, as I'm getting older, and maybe getting a slightly bit more measured in my own approach but I was probably I was I was I was the same you know I'd, I'd throw my toys out, out the pram at certain things and certain players because they'd, they'd frustrate me for doing things that I've seen them do in the past I think that's natural as, as a football fan because you get you care so much about it is there something in the football one of my things Phil is I think it's such an unforgiving style of football that we play at times like there's a couple of positions on the pitch that I think you know name your favourite ever Liverpool player in that position would he fancy doing this right now in this side with what's around him you know what I mean like yeah. we can talk a lot about uh, you know the idea of it could really work but I would be intrigued to see how Sammy Hippier for instance got on playing centre half for this Liverpool team, team at times uh, yeah, when, he's, yeah. when, he, when he's pushed right up the pitch and, I don't think it'd be good and that's I, don't, it, I don't think it would be so that particularly it, yeah that it is it is you know it, that is it is a thing isn't it that, that, that we are I think of all the sides in the country, we're going to play Chelsea this weekend, we're going to come and talk about them in a second. We are the ones who are exposing our players more than anyone else. We play we play very much on the edge and it, it is an intentional thing and there's people that sort of like it but then at the same time realise that they don't realise that they don't like it. Like I, I find it really interesting that people will wax lyrical about cloth and then 30 seconds later will say, well, I hate this, I hate that, I hate that, I hate that. You'll hear them talk about the goalkeeper and say... There's better goalkeepers in the championship, which there aren't, by the way. Go and watch Sunderland versus Millwall from last week, and, you'll, <laughs> was and you will see exactly what the level of goalkeeping in the championship is. You see them talking about playing Jordan Henderson as a holding midfielder. You see them talking about leaving the defenders exposed. And I said, "Hang on, so do you do you actually like the manager, or do you like the concept of the manager more than the reality?" And it is, it's it's a very interesting, and it, that's it's probably linked into his personality, I would think, because he is. Very, um, what, what's the word? Char- the, the charisma sort of makes him very likable and sort of makes you not realize that there's things that you don't like. Like Benitez didn't have much char- charisma in that respect, for example. He, he was needly and yeah, quite easy. If you wanted to dislike Benitez, it could be very easy to dislike Benitez. I personally didn't, but there were things like people will go wasn't 2008 2009 ridiculous but we would still go to places like Middlesbrough and yep. lose 2-0 and it would be mi- absolutely miserable and that is if you ask people what's the greatest Liverpool team you've seen in the last 15 years they will possibly choose that one and it was still capable of throwing in absolute rubbish performances it's you know, with one eye on Chelsea at the weekend, John, you know, I, I always remember something again that you cited in the past. I remember seeing Marcus Rashford run the length of the pitch at Gary Cahill, and Gary Cahill didn't have a clue what to do about it because he was just suddenly completely exposed. And yeah. you were like, "That's what happens." You know, Gary Cahill. We all say he's a good player; he is a good player, but that's what happens to your defenders. Chelsea, though, at the weekend, they will be all about safety nets, won't they? They'll be thinking about themselves, about this pace, this Liverpool side, about what to do in behind. And I think we're going to see a Chelsea side that looks to sit in, occupy space, and looks to just turn his rounds on the counter. Yeah, they're not going to come and do anything silly. Uh, you know, a, a draw's fine for them for the start, and then they'll also be aware of what we talked about before, is that this Liverpool side gives you a chance, so they'll be looking at set pieces, they'll be looking at, you know, get, getting, you know, they're, they're good attacking players on the ball when they can, and, and hitting on the break with guys like Hazard. I mean, there's there's talent there, and in, in they're you know, attacking talent there that means that they don't have to throw the kitchen sink, you know, they can 
rely on the fact that you know even even with scraps you know the likes of Morata and Hazard are capable of hurting you and so yeah it's going to have to be a game where, where Liverpool are maybe a little bit more patient you would have taught I don't mean to be space around the back they'll be looking at our pace and, and thinking well you know they're not going to be leaving gaps so patience from the crowd patience from the players but we've actually seen that at home yeah. you know and our defensive record's good at home as well um, I'm, I'm hoping to rely on Phil here to have it, have it to hand have you it's the best. It's one goal, isn't it? One goal so far this season. One goal. Burnley. Burnley. Even better than I thought. Burnley. Yeah. We've got the, I think we've still got the best in the league at home and the worst in the league away. I think so, yeah. Which is That's quite impressive. Yeah, that is good. Great set we, of did, lads. we did concede nine in two games. Yeah, oh, yeah, absolutely. We'll put the yards in, Paul. Yeah. Yeah, we're not complacent. <laughs> go hard or go home. Um, there is, just, uh, just to be able to sort of sum this up, but it's it's going to be a tight, tight game, I think. But the, way I, the shape up for this one, Phil, and in my head for some reason, I'm actually thinking of the corresponding fixture last season, but a dare ground. It wouldn't surprise me if the game follows relatively similar path to that where they're very very conservative and then grow into the game as it wears on or maybe we start with a fair bit of intensity get ahead and then it's whether or not we can hold on I mean that was before they changed their system though wasn't it so it, it was. might not be it might not be quite the same it's the Jordan Henderson goal game. yeah Jordan yeah. Henderson and Lovren, and, yeah, Lovren scored yeah that was a good a night kick. it was a fantastic what night a good, what a Friday night what Friday night that's we should have like we're all worn like GoPros and then gone to Sky and went do this every week. This is what we this is what we've done. Let's do this again the, every week. I think Liverpool Chelsea games always seem to be good of a night as well. There's there's a lot of history where mm. Liverpool have played them in. Well, last year was a great atmosphere on the on a Wednesday night, Tuesday night at Anfield yeah, as well. One one. Yeah. Yeah. It was I think I think a, a game either ground. I, I like both both grounds. I quite like Stamford Bridge. And I don't know if I'm mm. in a in a rarity uh, it's a rarity there it's a, it's a good it's a good ground um, but yeah both of them nighttime game half five at Anfield I don't think it gets much better honestly it's going to be huge I'm really looking forward to me Saturday night and Saturday afternoon and Saturday morning Paul what are you doing in terms of prediction. the actual day out <laughs> prediction I thought you were oh, trying to right, organise okay. your social um, life then these are the type of games I think sort of Liverpool live for I can, uh, Liverpool win not sure how John I'm out at AM Neil <laughs> God bless you so much see you there Phil I love that. That was John's prediction. That was a scoreline <laughs> prediction. I'm out AM. Phil, what are you doing? See, if there wasn't cricket on tonight, I would be out AM, but I'm going to have to sleep at some point. Okay, Phil, what will the Ashes be this one. time tomorrow? What the Ashes be this time tomorrow? Yeah. Uh, England will be back in with a lead of about 80, maybe two wickets down. Okay, that has been the Anfield Wrap this week. I think we've knocked everything off there. Uh, have a fantastic <laughs> weekend, whatever you're doing. Uh, and do subscribe to the Anfield Wrap. you get the opportunity to do so. Sports Social Podcast Network.